Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be today. Now, Paul is preaching grace with urgency to the church of Galatia, right? Not only is he preaching grace, but he's also setting people straight. That feels good, doesn't it? To preach God's, God's word and set people straight at the same time. Uh, I practice a lot on Macy. It doesn't work. <laughs> Those who are trying to suggest that, um, so he's, he's, being, he's preaching God's grace. He's setting them straight. And the reason why he's trying to set them straight is he's recognizing that there's people who are trying to suggest that there is um, the need for work within salvation. See, what they were trying to do is add work to the death and the resurrection, the blood of Jesus. So he's frustrated. Why are you adding work to the cross? So Galatians 3, I was going to say chapter 1. Nope, Galatians 3, verse 1. Here we go. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you, uh, what you heard? So also... Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in these verses, the Apostle Paul asks a series of questions intended to get the Galatians, or the church of Galatia, to consider the implications and consequences of their decisions to add law-keeping to the belief of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you guys like to be questioned? Anyone in here? Why did you do that? What are you up to? What are you thinking about? Why did you think it was okay to do that? Now, how many of you guys have ever been questioned in here? Now, usually the person questioning you feels like they have a better answer or that they knew that you were wrong. And I'm learning not to do that in my home right? <laughs> I'm learning just to shut up a little bit more. Now, Paul here is questioning. Paul here is questioning because he's frustrated because he sees that the church in Galatia is pursuing something wrong. Now, many of us do not like to be questioned because our experience has been that when questioned, it means that we have done something wrong. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here. He's asking questions because he sees that the church of Galatia is pursuing something wrong. Yet every question that Paul is going to ask, it has a very obvious answer. 
So the first question we want to look at this morning is this, is who has bewitched you? Now, it's interesting how culture, this is free right here, not in the notes. It's interesting how culture has um, essentially allowed the spirit of the Antichrist and the occult to work its way in to the life of kids and TV and programs, right? When you think of TV, they were often called programs. Well, what are programs? Programs are actually there to program a culture to think a certain way. So propaganda has been used the same way. So the enemy has used TV and programs to help bewitch a generation into thinking a certain way. So when I use the term bewitched, I think of the old show Bewitched. How many of you guys ever watched that? So actually there's a statistic right now. Um, you know, so I remember watching that and you think of like, so I grew up and I would see some of those reruns of that show and I think like, oh, like there's good witches and there's bad witches, right? There's, there's things within the spiritual realm that are okay. Well, it, I guess culture has progressed from bewitched, and some of you are like, don't be talking bad about that show, right? Then to Harry Potter. And now I've really, I'm really stepping on some toes now when I bring up Harry Potter in the church. So what's interesting is there was actually a study done recently that said when the Harry Potter books came out in, I believe, the 90s, witchcraft more than quadrupled within America and around the world. So maybe there were 60,000 people participating in witchcraft and or Wicca, right? Well, once the book Harry Potter came out, it quadrupled significantly. So now, there th now there's this idea within culture, and you guys are like, this is a book. A book can't have that much impact on you. Oh, really? What about the Bible? So books can change culture. So what's actually happening uh, within our world is because of the programming of normalizing being bewitched or Harry Potter or sorcery or even now... Um, What's the dude's, um, there's just a lot of witchcraft within shows today. So I would highly caution you to consider what you allow your kids to watch or even what you watch yourself. And you say it may be harmless, but statistics have shown that more than quadrupled um, in witchcraft when the books came out. That's crazy. So what's happening here is Paul is asking the question, who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you? You're acting in a way that you shouldn't be acting. So he's using extremely strong language here right off the cuff in Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. So he's saying the only way that you could believe this is if someone put a spell on you, if, if, or the only way that you could believe this is if Something happened to you in a crazy way that is not of this world because you saw Jesus crucified. You, you read Jesus crucified. You know that Jesus was crucified. See, often people hear um, the quote, nothing can separate you from the love of God. We even um, heard part of that this morning. So when frustrating things happen in our life or some, some people 
um, in the argument of once saved, always saved, or um, eternally destined. What they say is nothing can separate you from the love of God. So what we see going on here is Paul is coming because he's frustrated. He's frustrated because there's this belief that um, nothing can separate them from the love of God, which is biblical, and it's true. But often what happens is people use that scripture as a proof text that suggests that our hearts and our minds can't be stolen away from God. Yet, the fact of the matter is our devotion to God can be stolen. So maybe we can't be stolen, but our devotion can't be stolen. Amen? We don't like that. So we have to be careful not to use that scripture as a proof text to say that we can't ever be stolen away. And we've seen a generation of people be stolen away. So Paul is coming today to say that that's ludicrous to the church. It's not biblical. And that's why Paul's writing this letter. He's writing this letter because the believers in Galatia and their hearts are being deceived. And this is something we have to be cautious of ourselves. We have to be cautious that our hearts, that our devotion are not being bewitched and drawn away from our full devotion and our only devotion to Jesus Christ. How many good intended people are leading people astray by teaching Jesus plus something else? Just because someone uses Christian lingo doesn't mean that our they are accurately teaching, right? How many people have been in a situation where um, a group of five people come knocking on their door on a Saturday morning, and they bring up Jesus, and they bring up the power of God, and they bring up love, and they've been swindled into a church or a community or a cult because they've used Christian lingo. But the fact of the matter is it wasn't Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected as the only king. See, what they end up preaching is that Jesus was um, maybe a prophet or son of a prophet or just a good man. See, we can be bewitched, and right now the church in Galatia was being bewitched. One author says it this way, it is quite possible for one to have been truly converted and to have begun with a clear, definite knowledge of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. And then because of failure to follow on the study of the word and pray over it, to come under the influence of some false system, some unscriptural line of teaching. And so often people do come to um, come under some influence you find, sorry. And so often when people do come under some influence, you find it almost impossible to deliver them. They seem to be under a spell. So essentially, he wasn't talking about our sal salvation. He's talking about our heart's devotion. See, sometimes we come under the wrong line of teaching that then we feel like we have to pursue works. We feel like we have to earn our way back to God. We feel like when we mess up that somehow we can do something for God and then him forgive us of that, then we can be in right standing with him. 
And Paul sees that happening in the church of Galatia right now. And he's saying the only way that this could have happened is if you're living under a spell. See, when Paul asks the question, who has bewitched you, he also calls them foolish. Foolish in the uh, original language, in the best sense, means stupid. That's, some of you have been frustrated with some things that I've set up here. And um, we'd probably kick Paul out of the church for a lot of the language that he uses when he preaches to them. Can I get an amen? They're like, no, I don't like that you said stupid from the pulpit. All right, well, I'm just going to read Paul's original language next week. So, so Paul essentially is calling them foolish, calling them stupid in the best sense. Essentially, this was an insult coming from Paul. So how can Paul get away with insulting God's people? Well, Paul was addressing them as people who had never learned the basic things. He was so astonished that they were acting like, um, yeah, they were acting as if they were under a spell. He was frustrated with that. So Paul was asking them, are you acting this stupid because someone put you under a spell? Like, are you really just this ignorant or has someone put you underneath a spell? Has the occult done something? Now, the occult was alive and well then, those who worshiped Jesus and partnered with demons and cast spells. We see that all throughout Scripture. So the occult was alive and well then, and guess what the occult is today? Alive and well. So if you could be bewitched then, you could also be bewitched now. So Paul's point was that this had to be the only way that such confusion be in their minds about the gospel of Jesus. He knew that they were taught right. Then Paul reminds them at the latter half of verse 1 that their own eyes saw Jesus in Scripture. See, he was prophesied about in Scripture to come to earth and declare that he is the Messiah, and he will die and be resurrected from the grave for our sins. So Paul is frustrated because they had understood Scripture accurately and appropriately. They understood the basis of salvation, and the basis of salvation was Jesus Christ crucified. And I look at this room today, and many of you that I know, I understand that we understand Scripture rightly. Jesus Christ crucified. But also through conversations on both sides, we recognize that sometimes we feel like we need to add to the work of Jesus. Has anyone felt like this week after they had messed up that they needed to try to add something to the work of Jesus? Anyone in here, raise your hand. Participating church. Some of you? We got a, we got a holy church in here. I was going to take it another direction and say, I just must be the clearest preacher ever and we get it. No one, come on. Stu was right. It's a dry church this morning. So what happens is we try to add to the work of Jesus. Maybe we say, I'm going to give to this ministry, or, or I'm going to give to that ministry, or because I messed up yesterday, I need to wake up at 5 in the morning to do my devotions because I must earn my way back to right standing with Christ. So this is why he calls them foolish. Foolish. 
And he asks if they're under a spell because he sees that they're ones that are turning from grace and turning to works. So Paul continues with the next question. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you had heard? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you had heard? Did they receive the Spirit by works or by faith? Did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you receive salvation? Did you become a new creation by your works or by faith? Participating, we've received the Spirit of God by faith. So what Paul is saying here is if you have received the Spirit of God, if you have become a new creation based upon faith, then why do you think you need to add to the cross? Paul knew that they had heard the gospel message and that, is, uh, and that it is connected with faith. And when we have faith in Christ, we are born again. When we become born again, it was because of God's grace through faith, not works, so that no one can boast. So the Spirit didn't and doesn't come to us by keeping step with the law of Moses. Amen? The Spirit didn't and doesn't come to us by keeping step with the law of Moses. And that's why it seems scandalistic. Because why would a good God allow me to live however I want? Why don't I have to follow rules? Because my whole life I've been taught rules. Now I am not teaching um, live however you want. I'm not teaching that a sin isn't a sin. What God actually wants of us because of his grace, because of him living inside of us, is to offer us as holy and pleasing sacrifices before him each day. Much of scripture encourages us to have our white robe on, our, our pure robes living before him each day, to become spotless in our pursuit of purity and holiness and righteousness before him. But we do that because we love him, not because we're trying to add to the work of Jesus. See, imagine um, us having a Michelangelo painting in here. And it just being perfect, right? $250 million piece sitting in the sanctuary. It's like, yeah, that's like great, great art. And then I just come up, no artistry in me. Say, it just needs a little bit more. It just needs a little bit more work. And I try to draw an Ohio State block O on there. <laughs> I'd completely destroy it, wouldn't I? The work was finished. It was complete. It didn't need anything else. Every time we try to add to the work of Christ, it's like you trying to add to Michelangelo's painting. It doesn't work. So we can't add to the work of Christ on the cross. Paul continues with the third question. Are you, are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit? Are you trying to finish the works by the means of the flesh? Paul asks 
if this church is so foolish, remember, stupid, that they're now, or that they now believe that they can be perfected by the law, even though they were saved by faith. Obviously, Paul is assuming they knew the right answer to the earlier question. The church received the Spirit by faith. That is, they were saved by their faith and not their works. So then Paul asks why they're switching what they're believing and live by now. If faith was sufficient to bring them to Christ, then why would they foolishly believe that returning to the law was necessary to perfect them? If you were saved by faith in the cross, why are you pursuing works to earn more favor? See, the word for perfect, or, yeah, the, the word here in the original language, perfect is... Um, epitaleo in the original language, which means to bring to an end, accomplish, perfect, execute, to complete, right? So, essentially, um, God began the work of salvation in us by faith. That's what he did. So Paul asks, if the basis of our salvation is by faith, why do we feel that we need to bring it to completion through works? Now, our sanctification, our being made holy, begins by the Spirit and will be finished by the Spirit. So God brings it to completion based upon our faith and his promises, not our works. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So it didn't say, he who began a good work in Jim Yoder, then Jim Yoder gets to carry out to the day of completion. It didn't say, he who began a good work in Joey will allow Joey to carry it out into completion said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's not our works that will accomplish our right standing with Christ, and that's why Paul is frustrated. It is Christ alone. Paul proceeds with the next question. Have you experienced so much in vain? If, it is, if really it was in vain... So, have you experienced so much in vain? In Acts 14, we see that Paul and Barnabas preached in Galatia. So, what Paul is asking them, look, if, if you've experienced so much hardship because of preaching this gospel, was that all wasted? Acts chapter 14, verse 21 and 22. They preached the gospel in the city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystria, um, Iconium and um, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 
So Paul and Barnabas have gone through many hardships as they're preaching. In the book of Acts, Paul was encouraging those in Galatia to keep on fighting the good fight, even though great trials and persecution were right at their door. He was reminding them that those who desire to live a godly life will face hard seasons. Anyone in here ever faced hard seasons? Some may say suffering is a consequence of faith, while the Bible says it is a privilege. Some say that suffering is a consequence of faith, but the Bible says it is a privilege. Paul is now asking the church in Galatia, what did your suffering mean if you were not saved by grace? Remember, the false teachers were saying that they were not saved until they were circumcised. So Paul asks them, if we are to enter heaven through tribulations and trials and hardships, why were they persecuted if they were wrong about God's grace? So what he's saying is, look, if you're going to be persecuted, if those who desire to live a godly life will face trials, will be persecuted, why did you face persecution? Why did you face trials if you're preaching the wrong God? If you're preaching the wrong message, why did you face these trials? And Paul's point was, you, are, you were not preaching the wrong God. You were not preaching grace. You were not teaching the Bible in a wrong way. But if you turn to works, you will be. So Paul asked them if we are to enter heaven through many tribulations, why were they being persecuted? See, because what we all know is this, is a house divided cannot stand. So if the works kingdom was persecuting the works kingdom, it doesn't make sense. Finally, Paul wraps it up with his last question. So again, I ask... Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? When we see God's work in this church, the giving of his spirit and the working of miracles, how do we explain it? Did God accomplish these works by the church? Um... Sorry, did God accomplish these works because the church was working under the law? Or did he respond to faith in the church? God responds to faith in the church, not our works. The answer to these questions, the answer to this question is obvious. So let's review all of these. All these questions one more time. Who cast a spell on the Galatians? to lead them away from the testimony of Jesus crucified in agreement with the scriptures, the Judaizers. How did the church receive the spirit, or sorry, how did the church receive the spirit, receive salvation and become children of God? By faith, having heard the gospel preached by Paul. If their sanctifica sanctification began in faith by the spirit, then how should they expect the rest of their walk with the Lord to proceed? in faith uh, by the Spirit? Did they experience persecution for Christ in vain as if they hadn't yet been saved without circumcision? 
No, they rightly suffered having believed. Has God chosen to demonstrate his desire to work in your life through faith or through your works? He has manifested himself to you through faith. See, these questions and their unavoidable answers deal a blow to the Judaizers' argument here in Galatians 3. That's why Paul is bringing up these questions to them. Feels like each week we are preaching the same message because what Paul wants to do is beat into the Galatians' mind and help us understand and beat into our minds that we cannot do any work that pleases God other than having faith in his son. Now, as I also try to say each week, this doesn't mean that we are to go out and live as we wish. God still has a standard. How many of you guys have pets in here? Any pets that you just love them? You really like them? How many of you have pets in here and you want to put them up for adoption? <laughs> yes. So we don't have kids yet. We have pets. How many of you guys have friends in here? Anyone have friends in here? I think I have friends. Or I just have people that talk about me. How many people have kids and grandkids in here? You love them, don't you? You love them so much that you'd be willing to give up your whole life and your whole inheritance for them, wouldn't you? Some of them you want to put up for adoption as well. I can hear your thoughts. <laughs> Imagine this. Imagine that every time that you sin, you had to sacrifice your pet, your grandchild, or your child. It would keep you from sinning, wouldn't it? Like, you still probably wouldn't be perfect. But imagine that you had to sacrifice your puppy. Imagine you had to sacrifice your child. See, every time that you and I sin, willingly and unwillingly, we were the reason why Jesus, fully man, had to die on the cross. We are the reason when we sin today. We are the person who put Jesus on the cross. So, if you don't, just, you know, thinking-wise, if, if we wouldn't sin, if we wouldn't sin because we had to kill our pet or our dog, or our grandchild, or our kid, then why is it that we will so freely sin and put Jesus on the cross? See, what Scripture tells us is we must be willing to love God more than everything else, must be willing to love Jesus far above everything else. Today, I am the reason why Jesus had to die. Today, you are the reason why Jesus had to die. So just because grace is here, and we can't earn our way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't add to the work of Christ. Just because we get to live freely doesn't mean that you and I should take advantage of the grace of God, put a nail through his wrist. Amen? So there's still a righteousness and a holiness that he wants us to pursue. So, the false teachers called for works of the law 
to assure someone's salvation. You must be circumcised. You must be baptized. You must do this many Hail Marys or whatever else. But Paul proves the argument that they're making cannot stand and that the works gospel doesn't work. The grace of Jesus is all that works. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for your son. I thank you that I can't add to the work of the cross. I pray that today that your grace would empower us to live more holy. Your grace would empower us to be more gracious and kind. Your grace would lead us into all truth, Father. That your grace wouldn't um, be used against you. Father, that we wouldn't excuse away our actions and our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions based upon, well, you will forgive us tomorrow anyways. Father, I believe that that's highly dangerous. So forgive us where we have fallen short. Forgive us where we have taken advantage of you. I pray that you would give us hearts that want to pursue purity, that we want to be prepared um, with our white robe on, standing at the top of our house, looking and longing for your return. Father, just thank you so much that um, I can't add to that work. I can't bridge that gap. I pray that you would bless us this week, that you would keep us, that you would cause your face to shine upon us. Father, thank you for the food. Thank you for those who prepared it. I pray that you would bless, um, bless the meal to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen.